right ready to go uh, yeah ready to go man um hello 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 welcome to the 52 week film project week 11 oh but it's not really not much has changed for us because we've just finished recording our previous week's episode our teen titans go to the movies teen titans go to the movies um we've uh, you know we we booked in this double bill tonight because we're both quite busy in the coming weeks um, but we didn't really take into account the fact that we've had a lovely bottle of Shiraz, um, <laughs> and we don't really have much of a plan for this episode. No, I think um, we'll see how it goes. See I how think... it goes. I'm, I'm feeling positive. I'm enjoying it. I'm in talking. good. I'm in good company. Aww. we've got we've got some good news stories for this week. We do, we do. Um, and we've got a fan. We've got well, I think a fantastic film, but we'll see what Will thinks about that in a bit. We've got Ant Man and the Wasp. Here we go. Um, so kicking off the, the episode, news. we do have as Will <laughs> just lovingly explained Jake, our news that- section. You just should have seen Jake's face there. It turned from a smile to a grimace very quickly. No, it was just pure bemusement, mate. Like, <laughs> pure I, I did joy. not realise it was going to go on for that long, but <laughs> hey, we'll roll with it. Um, so in terms of movie and TV news for this week, what do you have, Will? What's your first okay, story? So the first story I have is that there is a new Supergirl movie in the works. Oh shit, really? Yes. So Wait, is, there, is there a Supergirl movie currently? Well, there was a super ga- Supergirl me- movie previously. <laughs> there was a super gay movie. Ah, <laughs> oh, there's a super gay movie. There is a super gay movie, isn't there? What is that? Is that what it's called? I think there is a movie called Super Gay. Super Gay. Super Gay. I think it's on Netflix. I've seen it. There's a LGBT section in Netflix. And I think. Okay. A movie While you're explaining anyway, the Supergirl movie, I'll look up the Super Gay film. If there is not a movie called Super Gay, I do apologise to our listeners. Um, so in 1984, there was a Supergirl movie starring Helen Slater. She now. Um, doesn't reprise her role, but she is starring at the moment in the Supergirl TV show, um, which is done for the CW. Uh, cool. No, it's not done for the CW. It's done for ABC, but it's in the same universe as Arrow. Is it Flash. done in that really cringy American superhero sitcom style? Yes. Like the Flash, where it's like, I'm Barry Allen, and this is what happened to me this week. Oh, but it's like, worse. Supergirl, I've watched a couple of episodes of Supergirl, and is it really cringe? Me, it's cringy. Oh, yeah, no. um, and Supergirl. In the comics, Supergirl's got an interesting um, development. In the in the early comics, she was sort of a non non committal character, and then in the Crisis of Infinite Universes, where they had DC loved their big um, multi narrative, multi universe big events. They do indeed. Um, and Supergirl got wiped out from existence until the early two thousands, where she reappeared again. They did a much better job at writing her. They wrote a good series of comics. I have actually six out of the eight Supergirl graphic novels at home. So, and my uncle, interestingly, this is a story that you might not know. Go on, um, go on. My uncle um, um, introduced me to um, printing um, pictures. So me and him would um, print some of my old comic things and then create images out of them and colour them in. Oh, really? So, yeah, I think it's a blue blotting paper and you put, put it yeah, over yeah, yeah. and draw it over. Um, and he almost, like a, my, almost like a stencil. Exactly. Uh, and so he, for my 18th birthday, created a Supergirl print and put it on canvas and it's hanging above my bed. And I think for him, he, he saw it as my kind of sexual awakening. But I'm or something. <laughs> but I think that's not really gone down that well. 
Because no. he was like, oh, you've got Hot Girl, who's a cartoon character, no. on things. But no, I just... I If he'd done you a stencil from the, the hypothesized film Super Gay, then... <laughs> Maybe, but yeah, I um, I actually, on a side note, I can confirm there is not a film called Super Gay, least of all a film about a gay superhero. Oh no, um, I thought that was really right. The first four options that come up on Google when you search for Super Gay film are some guy's personal list of favourite movies on IMDb called My Super Gay Movies. Nice. Um, Ten Super Gay film moments that happened since last year's Oscars. Outandaround.com, equality is not a Western invention. And then it just cuts straight to the chase. And the fourth option is gay, free, full movie, gay film, gay love, romance, gay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Um, So, no, mate, there's not a super gay film, but there is, as you've said, a super girl film. Yes. Which is very cool. Very, very cool. Yep. Um, my first bit of film news, I actually made all three bits of my news this week are TV related because I, f- I I love my TV shows and I feel like we don't encompass them much in the, the film, week film, film project. project. <laughs> um, so I thought I'd get them out there. Um, Daredevil, um, the Netflix TV series in association with Marvel uh, with Charlie Cox playing Daredevil. Uh, season three has, it's been in the works for a while. Um, but it has been confirmed for a 2018 release date. And the reason that's fucking cool is Luke Cage season two came out last month. Jessica Jones season two came out a couple of months ago. Iron Fist season two, which I think is the one that everyone's a little bit apprehensive for because it was Iron Fist was the worst one out of the bunch. Um, That's out in September, which means that Daredevil season two is also out this year, possibly October, November time which means that we've seen four new Marvel TV seasons in one year. They really are Which is them out, really cool. And the way, like for anyone who's watched the Marvel Netflix series, um, I, for people that know kind of how things were left at the end of The Defenders, which was the season that teamed them all up together, mm-hmm. Daredevil's not in a great place. So it'll be really cool to see what they do with that. Thank you for not spoiling it for me because I haven't seen it. Yeah, them. man. I no, I, I know that you're keen on watching them, so I thought I better not. Yep. Well, I, well I, I'm a very big fan of the original series of Jessica Jones and I watched Daredevil season one and half of season two. I season kind of, two lacked a little bit. I fell out with season two and that's why I think I've not continued with Luke that's Cage a common, Iron Fist. That, that's a common thing I've No, heard. I think I really need to stick with it. But um, I, yeah. I, did I, you watch Iron Fist? I did. I watched it with you for a couple of episodes. A little bit. Fell off did you end. watch Luke Cage? I again, watched it with you for a little bit. I'm working my way through season two now and it's really good. Okay. I've heard really good things about Luke Cage. I'd like to watch. I, I, Iron Fist and Luke Cage were always the. <laughs> we're gonna go with it. Um, always the playable characters I play on Marvel Ultimate Alliance Two. <laughs> and yes, on what console? Xbox Three Sixty. Nerd. <laughs> oh, it's no, it's a fantastic game. It's the Civil War storyline. Oh, cool. Okay. It's a really All cool right. one. Yeah, and Iron Fist does. <laughs> the listeners that. will get that. <laughs> Oh, mate, this is, I know my audience. It's, a, it's all fine, <laughs> uh, my audience. Um, yeah, so second bit of f- film news for me. Um, when my phone decides to work, hang on. Oh, deja vu. Yeah, <laughs> it was the second news the last time as well. Um, it's about Spider-Man, Spider-Man's new film. Yeah, uh, Far From Home. Far From Home. Um, there is new cast spoilers <gasps> in the film. Oh, mate, I'm excited, tell me. Um, well, I find this interesting 
well, I find this interesting in one way and also in one way I'm like, really? This is not the most exciting thing. Samuel L. Jackson and Kobe Smulders. Samuel L. Jackson as um, obviously Nick Fury and Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill. Which, who, who is Kobe Smulders? Uh, is that she, how I met your male mother, or female? How I Met Your Mother. Um, she's Maria Hill. She's sort of Samuel Who is L. she in How I Met lucky. Your Mother? Robin. Oh, so it, like basically you mean the two characters that already exist in Marvel. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Um, I think that's going to be interesting because that suggests that it's going to have some S.H.I.E.L.D. intervention in the film, which I didn't expect. Um, Do you think I, that's going to replace Robert Downey Jr.? Because is he is he going to be on for this next one? Well, I suppose it, it all depends on what happens with Infinity War. Part, because this is this is scheduled to be released after Infinity War. Somewhere yeah. at some point. So it depends because what happens at the end. Of, have, they that, announced, have they announced a villain for this? I don't think they have. Oh, oh no. That, sorry. They, they've rumoured it. So appara- yeah. apparently, Jake Gyllenhaal is in talks to play Mysterio. Oh, which I, I think would be really fucking Mysterio cool. Mysterio is such a cool villain, such a great villain. And I got confused. Well, I think a lot of people got confused because they announced Jared Leto in a role of a lesser-known Spider-Man villain who's a vampire. And I can't remember what the character's called. Is he but, a vampiro? But, no, but people That's thought. DC, I think. People thought that he was going to be the villain in the new Spider-Man film, and they've since confirmed that no, it's actually going to be a standalone film. And I'm sitting here thinking, what? Like DC just had a shit run with Jared Leto as the Joker, and they're bringing him back for a standalone film. And on the side, Marvel have now just given him a standalone film about a character no one really gives a shit about. Like, Leto, why don't you just focus your resources on making the Venom film actually worth watching? Why is Jared Leto's acting choices recently been considerably poorer than it was when he was when he was not Dallas Buyers Club, Jared Leto? Because he was an American psycho and he was fantastic in that. That's years ago though, mate. Yeah, yeah, but he still he still picked and chooses roles um considerably until recently by the looks of it yeah well i think 30 seconds to mars aren't doing as well as they used to do so he probably yeah. needs the money yeah very true um yeah okay so that's, that yeah that's you um my second bit of film news tv news should i say um john Fa- this was complete news to me i feel like people probably this is probably already a very well-known thing john favreau out of iron man fame of chef fame of just being a general like boss in Hollywood and we not like being... saying of something fame a lot in this podcast. yeah man we do we say that a lot don't <laughs> we um, but he's just a general boss he's really funny he's a great writer he's a great director um, he is helming the Star Wars TV series that is going to be a 10 parter that is going to be on Disney's new streaming service which is yet to be fully announced um, but apparently there are reports that the show is going to cost about $100 million to make. Um, and people are like hypothesizing about where the show will be set. Um, and almost no one... as much as t- um, Tom Cruise's broken ankle. Yeah, well, mate, apparently the, the closest competitor to it, if it's going to cost that much, is Game of Thrones. Wow. So like, if they're doing this, they're really making it big old budget. Like, I don't know how much of that will be props. I don't know how much of that will be actual like this isn't effects. live animation, is it? Uh, I don't think so. No, it's car- It's got a cast in it and I think they're acting. Wow, okay. Fair enough. But in my mind, imagine Rogue One 
but in 10 one-hour episodes. I'd love that. I think Do you know what I mean? Great. Yeah. Like, it will be that kind of, probably that kind of budget behind it. Quite intense. Likeable characters and well shot. Yeah. Um, but obviously that comes at a price. Um, but yeah, no, that should be fun. I huh. have no idea when it comes out, but it should be, I, I trust John Favreau. I think it's great. Yeah, that's very, very exciting. Um, and the last bit of news from me, very geeky. Very Go geeky. Go on. Um, so, um, Star Trek, recently they've had a very successful Netflix show with uh, Jason Isaacs in it and um, not Lucy Liu. What's her name? Um, the person who was in Crouching Heights, Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, oh, what's her name? Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, as the captain. Um, it's been very, very successful. And uh, in addition to season two coming out, is that there is a there's a rumor that Patrick Stewart is reprising his role as Jean Luc Picard in the ver- really uh, yes. So now I was never that much an original Star Trek fan, but I loved the Next Generation because the original Star Trek is just bonkers and it's great and it's ca- it's 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 camp TV at its finest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it does age terribly, and and some of the ca- the Kirk fight scenes are just unwatchable. It's just a lot of hugging. For about five to ten minutes with a very good score behind it. Um, but Star Trek The Next Generation really brought some depth into the characters and Patrick Stewart did a fantastic acting role, acting job in it. Um, I think there was, I think it was seven to twelve, it was Star Trek seven to Star Trek twelve in terms of movies. Patrick Stewart helmed those movies and they are considered, to Trekkie fans especially, as some of the most... Wait, sorry, what did you just call them? Trekkie fans? Trekkies. Trekkies. Trekkies are the name of the fandom. <laughs> I, I find it quite offensive. You don't know that, really. Oh, mate, I, no, I've never been a Star Trek fan. No, no, it's it's very. I always find with Star Trek is that I like it to a certain extent. I really like the Next Generation, but you have to be really into the universe and the lore to like it. It's very referential. It's it's much harder to keep up with, say, than that Star Wars. It's very different intent. Yeah. It's much more classic sci-fi as opposed to Star Wars, which is almost a fantasy in a way. It's mm-hmm. almost a, it's a fantasy playing out as a, in a sci-fi world, whereas Star Trek is classic sci-fi. There's names for every single type of torpedo. Um, there's a whole language developed for Klingon. Like it's, yeah, it's uh, very, very deep. Yeah, but I think John Luke Picard playing that. Patrick Stewart is getting old now, and the fact that he's doing that still is, I think, incredible. Um, and it'll be a really nice touch um, to see him back and doing some kind of role. Um, whether it be I can't be for Star Trek Discovery because that's set in a different time zone even if it's just a cameo though if it's just a cameo but it would have never, to be a future thing never have I seen a sci-fi TV series that has let a character being in another time zone stop it from bringing that character into the show I mean yeah. there's got to be some bollocks red hole super time warp narrative that enables Patrick Stewart to come into a series where he wasn't really meant to be. I mean, be you're completely right. I mean, in three of the Star Trek You just Trek fucking, movies, it's sci-fi, you fucking invent a way for well, him to be Well, in three of the Star Trek movies, um, in Star Trek 4, I have watched most of them, uh, in Star Trek 4, they go back to, called The Voyage Home, they go back, they go back to, they try to get back, um, it's such a hard thing to explain. Essentially, they go, they have... To get back to their own time zone, <laughs> they have to go back to 1970s um, and find a narwhal. Cl- classic. Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's and what that's what I try and do when I want to get <laughs> home from Clapham after a night out. Yeah, because you've got to find a narwhal. 
there's an evil alien who can who only read whose only registered talking pattern is the same as a extinct narwhal because they're extinct now because they're 300 years in the future brief brief aside from this did you um i don't know how much of a black mirror fan you are but did you watch the star trek based black mirror i did i loved it i thought it was great yeah. cool it was, isn't it really really, really cool. cool and they really captured the idea of the original and they also really captured the idea of that sort of tracky fandom as well the sort of dark keep inside your room have all the collector's toys I really liked it I found yeah that that's actually I'll tell you what yeah. I thought that most recent series of Black Mirror was phenomenal yeah um, final bit of news from me for the American horror story fans out there um, this is a really cool moment this is almost uh, dare I say it, a moment you've been waiting for for several seasons now um, so in seasons one to four one to four or maybe one to three one to four um, you had an actress, very famous actress, who's been around for years, called Jessica Lange, and she kind of played the like the the key role in each of the seasons. And she's won Emmys for her portrayals. She's you know critically applauded, and she bowed out after Circus or Freak Show, whatever the fourth season was called. And it's now been announced that American Horror Story is on its eighth season. Uh, the season's Gosh, it's eight seasons. Yeah, now. man. The season is going to be called Apocalypse. Um, and it is going to be the first crossover event or like proper crossover event in American Horror Story. There's been lots of kind of teasers and Easter eggs and things about kind of the worlds interacting and the timelines kind of crossing of the different settings and areas that the the show kind of moves to each season. Um, But this season, for the first time, it's going to be a crossover between the events of Murder House, which is the first season of American Horror Story, and the events of Coven, which is the third season, both of which involved Jessica Lange in the role of a woman called Constance Langstrom, um, and she is reprising her role. Oh, wow. So she's going to be back in it. Um, It was announced by Sarah Paulson, who's another uh, American Horror Story stalwart. Um, And famously from Ocean's 8. Yeah, she was in Ocean's 8. Um, It's cool to see her kind of bridging out a bit. But yeah, I'm excited. Uh, the show's been renewed for seasons eight and nine. I f- we didn't. I mean, me and you both, with our housemates at uni, tried to watch the most recent season. Didn't really get on with it. It wasn't very gripping. And in the last season the season before, before that, that we oh. we all agreed was quite shit, but we enjoyed watching for, watching because essentially the season before that, season six, was called Roanoke, and at the start of the season, the premise was basically one of the people that you've been watching will like only one of them will survive through the events of the episodes. And so in our uni house, we had a, a, like a big list of the characters up on the wall and everyone put a vote in for who they thought was going to be the one who survived. And that made it really like, even though it was a shit series that made it really gripping because it was almost like this bingo game of like, ha fuck you. Will your character's dead. You're not going to, get through immediately I was so upset with my I was yeah. I, thought, I thought it was a really placed one I was like I'm really considering the characters what the arc's gonna be and no you were just First done episode, second episode terrible. or something um, I'm excited about Jessica Lange I have not seen American Horror Story apart from the two series I the, the series I watched with the, with my housemates at university and then attempted to watch the the next season, the election one, and it really just that wasn't very good. Just really that was what it was called, election. It yeah, wasn't. It I wasn't really very good. However, we did watch American Crime Story, the other show, The People versus OJ Simpson, Genius. and that was brilliant. Like, if you haven't watched that, I think it's still on BBC iPlayer. 
Um, that is a great show. And we haven't watched, we watched a couple of episodes, but we need to, I need, we need to keep watching the assassination of, um, Gianni Versace. Like I watched the first two episodes and thought it was fantastic. I only, I only watched the first one, but I, it was really, really good. So yeah, that's, that is a show. TV, yeah. yeah, mate, that is I a also, show to go back and watch. Yeah. I'm very excited about Jessica Lang. Um, she was in a series I recently watched called Feud, Betty and Joan. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, I never watched that either. Honestly. Just what was, do you want to explain what it so was? So it's about it's it's a it's Joan based Crawford on a true story. Joan and... Crawford and Betty Davis, who were two aging actresses in Hollywood at the time in the 1960s. They did a film together called um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, and it is a very popular film. And it talks about how these two actresses were pitted against each other by the media, essentially, but also developed this own personal in, personal rivalry. Which culminated, Huge conflict, in, yeah. which culminated in the Oscars, where Betty Davis was nominated for an Oscar. Joan Crawford wasn't for the same film. Joan Crawford was, was so angry that she, she is rumoured to have lobbied um, the Academy and start spreading rumours about Betty so that um, Betty would not win the Oscar. And then she asked two of the actresses um, not to appear at the Oscars. So, so Anne Bancroft, who wins the Oscar, instead of Betty Davis, which is controversial anyway, says, Anne Bancroft can't be here, except in the Oscar is Joan Crawford. And so Joan Crawford walks out and accepts the Oscar and takes the Oscar. Fuck. I know, I know. It's so... And, and Jessica, Jessica, who, who does Jessica Lange Jessica play? Lange Joan, plays Crawford. Joan Crawford. So the, the, essentially the devious, the ultimate devious. Well, both of, of them are very devious. In the, but Betty Davis is rude and blunt. Joan Crawford is more deep, more... She's more um, personable to other people and is liked by the media but also is got a more bitter personal life. Okay. Um, in, in what is portrayed in the show anyway, there is a lot of contention about Joan Crawford as a woman, but Jessica Lang plays her perfectly. I have more of a problem with Susan Sarandon as Betty Davis because she doesn't fully get the Betty-isms, but oh, Jessica Lang is fantastic. Yeah, she is really So good, I'm very excited. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And it might get me onto American Horror Story, which I've been meaning to do for a while now. Yeah, mate. I mean, to be honest, if you're going to watch American Horror Story, and I think anyone that's watched any of the American Horror Story seasons um, who's listening will agree, jump straight in with the second season, Asylum. Asylum is the best season of American Horror Story, period. Mm. It's probably one of the best like seasons of television ever. Wow. There's this there's this episode called the Name Game, which I would probably say is like top five episodes of TV ever for oh, me. Wow! And it probably is for a lot of other people as well. Like I, I've kind of I, I feel like I've done this before, where I've gone online and it's been like top ten episodes of television ranked by like I don't know ranking websites, and it's it's always up there alongside like the penultimate episode of Lost. Um, I'm trying to think like one of the, like one of the final episodes of Breaking Bad is always on there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the Sopranos episodes, I think. Yeah, there, yeah. definitely the Sopranos. Um, that'd be interesting. Actually, we should do that at some point. We should look up like the 10 best episodes of television, see how many we've watched. That'd Probably won't make for much fun listening, but for me and you, it might be cool. Yeah, exactly. Um, That's just an insight into our lives. Yeah, that'd be nice. Anyway, that is the end of the news. I thought I'd go down. I thought I'd yeah, go down with it. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you, you keep me on my keep toes, them mate. Keep coming. Keep the <laughs> no audience coming. No one knows what's going to happen. Leave it away. So, Ant-Man and the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp, the sequel to 2016. 
2010s or 2015? 2015, I think. I think it was yeah, I think it was 2015. Um, what were your thoughts on the original Ant-Man when it came out? I loved the original Ant-Man when it came out. It came out after the second Avengers film. I thought I was a bit disappointed with the second Avengers film. What, Age of Ultron? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Ant-Man came as a breath of fresh air. I thought Paul Rudd was really good. I thought it added really nice supporting characters. Um, I thought it was just a really, really funny film. It was inventive. It, it was, was very different. inventive. The, yeah. the the fight sequences and what they were doing with Ant-Man, I think, were really cool. Um, you it got was, an it idea was, of... It was very Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but for a modern generation. Yeah, and like the Thomas the Tank Engine fight sequence at the end. Yeah, that was just so Just all great. that kind of stuff. And also, it's endearing. The relationship with Paul Rudd and his daughter, I think, is very endearing. Very cute. Very, yeah, very Cassie, cute. she's yeah, really she, sweet. Yeah, she's a really good child actress. She's, she is a good actress. Good. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. good in... She like I think we can definitely agree on that. She's good in the first one. She's really good in the second one as well. Oh, yeah, we can agree um, on that, definitely. There's a lot of comic relief in the sequel that kind of involves her. Um... I too thought that Ant-Man, the first one, was really good. I thought it was really interesting. I've liked Paul Rudd as an actor and a comedian for several years now. Watching way, way back, like he did these old films like uh, Role Models. I don't know if oh, you've yeah. watched Role Models with Sean William Scott, the guy from American Pie. Yeah, yeah, I've watched Role Models. Um, where they play like two defunct adults who have to like try and get their lives back on track. They're, like. He's really entertaining and he was in Friends. He was Phoebe's boyfriend. He's very good in Parks and Rec. Um, he's in season yeah, four he's in Parks and Rec. Yeah, he's great in Parks and Rec. Yeah, he's fantastic in Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a, as a rich kid who's trying to run for governor, he has no idea. He's yeah. a petulant child. He's, he's part of the sugar, uh, the Sugarman family or whatever they're called. I, I can't remember the name, but yeah, yeah. And he's just like, he's got all this wealth and he doesn't give a shit about the town. And Leslie Nope, obviously, like, has no money but cares about the town passionately. Yeah, fantastic. Um, but anyway, point being, I think he's got a great history in comedy and it was really refreshing in 2015 to see him kind of be cast in this huge Marvel role. Did you see his abs this film? Yeah, he was ripped. He, these, yeah, he's surprisingly ripped. shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I, I looked at him and was like, he oh should, my He should God. star in Super Gay. <laughs> he would be great at Super <laughs> He would Gay. be great in Super Gay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whatever that film is. <laughs> when I make Super Gay, <laughs> when I'm older, when I make Paul Rudd is my first Famous last words. <laughs> Um, no, but he he is great. He's he's very charismatic. He's very funny, and I think that fed through into this sequel, Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, we haven't really discussed this film prior to like recording this, but I get the impression that you weren't massively impressed by this film. I did struggle. And Go on then. Give, I me, will give tell me your, you give me your reasons why. My reasons why. Um, firstly, I think that in the first film, it was really refreshing to see lots of Paul Rudd, and I think. Um, what and Paul Rudd and his his gang of of, of fellow a gang of thieves basically of thieves. like they are all like ex cons that are trying yeah. to get work in security which and is just ironic in yeah, itself. Yeah, it's, it's ironic in itself. Um, I think that whereas the first film really played on Paul Rudd's relationship with those characters, it, this second film, for the plot's sake, focuses much heavily, much more heavily on Michael Douglas's Hank Pym and Evan Lilly's Hope Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne. Hope Van Dyne. Um, and I just didn't find them that compelling. I thought, thought Michael Douglas's character in this film, considering he's supposed to be kind of a moral arbiter and kind of an important person in Shield's history, yeah. that was built up last last film, um, really just seemed like a like a crabby old man. The whole film, he was just getting angry at Paul Rudd. Yeah, different I do. Things. I do agree. I think that the context to Ant Man and the Wasp is that obviously Paul Rudd fucked off with the Ant Man suit to Germany and fought in civil war with mm -hmm. Captain America, 
And granted, like one of the setup parts for this film is that he did that without consent from Hank Pym and Hope Van Dyne. And he essentially kind of betrayed their trust. And so there's a bit of that kind of like trying to regain favor with them kind of thing uh, in this film. But I just felt like the air of them being pissed off with him carried a little bit too far through the film. Yeah. And it got in the way of the charisma of the leading actors. It was, yeah, it was noticeable. I think yep. it wasn't, um, it wasn't kind of, it could have been dealt with a bit quicker. Yeah, I was just wanting um, it to be nipped in the bud and like, it done. And yeah. Like and I, I think they got a bit hung up on how pissed Hank Pym should have been about that. Um, and I get that kind of one of the plots, plot lines through both films is kind of that, um, I don't know what his name is, Scott Lang. Scott yeah, Scott Lang. Uh, Paul Rudd's character is a bit... I was about um, to say Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was so close. Imagine, imagine Michael if Michael Serra was Ant-Man. <laughs> could Michael Serra play a Hey, hey, hero? can you can you stop that, please? It's like, that's a good Michael Serra. That's terrible, Michael Serra. Well, it's a good intonation. British Michael Serra. British Michael Serra. Um, but yeah, that was definitely a thing. I think they got too yeah. hung up on that. And my other, um, I've got other complaints, but I'm happy on, to... What's I'm your ha- next complaint? So I don't want to just list off my complaints. Go on, you whining bastard. Come on, <laughs> what, what are the rest of your complaints? My next complaint is um, I found the love story intolerable between Ant-Man and Scott Lang. I just found it really... Between Ant-Man and Scott Lang? Oh my gosh. What, what a is... self-indulgent love story. Just the just context for listeners, I've changed from wine to water because I'm <laughs> mixing up my words. All right, um, Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> You went the other way around. Water into wine. Anyway, it doesn't matter. All right, sister. Nice. Anyway, anyway, um, the love story was just a bit intolerable. I just found that they w- the love story was on when it suited it, suit the film suited it to be on, and then off. So this between um, Hope and Scott Lang. Just clarifying that. I just found it. Uh, yeah, I agree and disagree. I think that I, I the problem with having a relatively PG thirteen movie is that they didn't want to overdo the chemistry so i think that the issue the issue i have if i'm if this is like will paxton versus jake leonard in the case of ant-man versus the wasp ant-man versus the wasp ant-man and the wasp (laughs) um i would argue that because they were trying to dumb down the um relationship narrative to a younger audience they may be lost in translation some of the emotion and yeah it felt a little bit flip floppy um but i just don't think that's an excuse in a, i'm going to say it in a post infinity war war world i think that maybe is the but main what emotional no i'm sorry what like romantic saying... what romantic emotional storytelling did Infinity War have and don't you dare say Vision and Scarlet Witch oh I'm not going to say Vision because it was fucking nasty. I'm actually going to say none I'm I would say, say I would say the chemistry between Hope Van Dyne and Scott Lang and Ant-Man and the Wasp is better than Scarlet Witch and fucking Paul Bettany I think you're right I can think I think you're right but I think that they just that wasn't although I think in Infinity War the the emotional writing was just a bit more bit, bit better the connections between the characters minus, and I can, and this is my redeeming quality of the film, is that every scene that Paul Rudd is talking to his daughter is a winner for me. Oh, hilarious. A, a hilarious. B. What does he call her? He calls her something. Peanut. 
peanut. I think it's, it's so it's, endearing. It is adorable. And he's such a good actor when he's talking the, to that. It's such a good it relationship. It is. It's really good. And you can imagine him just being really sweet with her on set oh, as well. Oh, yeah. 100%. And um, there, there's a great bit in the film where he's kind of like tied up and they've been captured by the villains. And the phone starts ringing and he persuades the villains to let him like video chat his daughter. Oh, that's Because it might be that's an emergency. Amazing. And all she ends up asking is like where something is in where the house, shoes. where her shoes are or something. But it, it's just so cute because he's like caught in this like near death situation and then they like unlock the video chat. He's like, hey, peanut. Yeah. <laughs> it um, is really sweet. Yeah, I think it's very, very sweet. That, that, I, that see, that's, really what, that's what I think this film had. I think this film had a lot of charm. I don't think that it was necessarily... Um, that gripping of a plot. I think that the action sequences, the big action set pieces were fantastic. There's a really phenomenal car chase scene in this film. There's just really awesome little creative bits. Like, uh, for example, kind of one of the main points of the film is that there's this big lab that can be shrunk down to the size of like a travel case that you would take on a flight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And... Clarify, but I just quite like saying the word. No, mate, I, d- I didn't know the name for it, so thank you. <laughs> um, but it, there are just like these little things that are really nice creative touches. But I do agree. I think it doesn't make an incredibly mesmerizing whole. Um, but I do think that it was. It got by on its for me. It got by on its charm. It got by on its nice little bits and bobs. Its funny little creative bits. And it got by on how sharp the script was for me. I thought there were bits in this film where I was sat there laughing my head off. But then equally, there were little bits where I was kind of thinking like, you know, this is this really narrow, like necessary? This isn't really that interesting. But the bits where it did work, it worked really, work, really well. Like there's, there's a really funny bit where Ant-Man's like, friends are being interrogated by this like arms dealer and his mob and they've got this like vial of serum that they like put into the friends and it's going to help them like explain where Ant-Man is and they're sort of like there's this whole kind of riffing joke of like oh so it's truth serum and the hitmen are like no it's not truth serum and it like keeps going from there and it I thought that whole sequence was really entertaining. Even if it was quite exposition heavy, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree with you that there is the script. There is the script in this film. I just think that there was a lot of jokes that were very, very funny. Yeah. And then I felt I was a lot, but then I also felt there was a lot of jokes that didn't land. I felt that a lot, I felt that sometimes that um, the, especially, especially, in the rapport between Hank and Hope, there was a couple of jokes, the, th- the in jokes between the three of them that I just thought didn't la- land. Pe- maybe maybe it was just me because people were laughing in the cinema and I just didn't laugh. Yeah. Um, and then my, I think my main problem with the film um, is the the case of too many villains. I didn't really know what I should be focusing on, and the ghost was cool, but I wasn't fully invested. I was more invested in Lawrence Fishburne's character. I think who never really surmounted to anything. Who really actually never really surmounted to anything, and also his only real kind of thing in, thing in the in the film was to make actually make Hank Pym look bad, because actually Lawrence Fishburne is the good guy in this film technically. 
He's trying to, a kind of. He's trying to save his. He's trying to save a, his friend. His friend's daughter. This is the ghost who is the main main evil person. The yeah, girl. the main antagonist who like. I will admit, like, the curtain is kind of lifted on her very early on in the film. We're talking, like, after your first kind of meeting or fight scene with her, you very quickly realise that she's not actually got an evil conscience and she is ill for some reason and you don't know yeah. what's wrong with her. So, like, there is, there is a massive lack of a definitive villain in this film. There's a very, very funny hitman arms dealer guy who crops up throughout the film... But again, doesn't really surmount it. He really, is yeah. inconsequential. Um, he just provides a lot of comic relief through the film. I struggled with Ghost. Him. She is played by like I, a really good actress. I can't remember her name, but she's the same actress that played the mummy in the most recent Tom Cruise reboot, which was fucking awful. Um, but it was but saved you, by but, her. But you, no, well, no, it wasn't even saved by her, but you watched her in it and you thought, she is quite a good actress. There's potential for her in the right role. Um, I can't remember what her name is. Um, but, you know, she, she is good. She's, again, like nothing's really achieved by her character. And one thing that kind of annoyed me a little bit, which now I'm kind of pondering on more, is the main kind of point of the film is they want to go back into the quantum realm to rescue Hank Pym's wife, Hope Van Dyne's mother, and inevitably they do that and then they get her back to reality and Ghost is still there kind of oh. like phase shifting oh, I'm and so happy you're talking about this because this is going to actually yeah it annoyed me oh. I'm sure it annoyed you yeah. but eventually like Ghost the whole narrative like which I never really understood completely but like essentially she's dying and she's like phase shifting and she's like all over the place she's really skittish and she needs to get into the quantum realm to resolve this. I don't know what going into the quantum realm would actually do to help her. Well, do you? that's another problem with the film is that the quantum, what, what is the quantum realm? Yeah. Do we still know what the quantum realm is? No, no I don't think you're ever really told. And but it, are and, we and, supposed but not, to because, no, because of Infinity War? I feel like, the way, like there's been so many fan theories about the quantum realm um, solving the problem the the ending of infinity war the problem i have with it is it's not as if the quantum like the quantum realm hasn't fully been explained and yes it's open to the idea that captain marvel is going to kind of be involved in the quantum realm as well etc etc but but this it, was the film not, to explain it yeah it was that this was the film to explain it but also it's not it's quite an abstract place and it's not really fully explained, but I don't think it's abstract in the same way that the Doctor Strange weird world is in the sense that the Doctor Strange weird kind of universe that he can tap into is so far beyond anything that it doesn't really warrant an explanation. It just exists and is fucking weird. Whereas the quantum realm is kind of discussed so much in fan theories that you would think that they actually would kind of take the time to explain it in a bit more yeah, detail. Yeah, give it a bit of flesh. Don't, not... don't leave it completely explained. Yeah, but give us it... give us a little bit more understanding of it. Exactly. And I, I, to be honest, mate, I don't think, based on this film and the scenes involving the quantum realm, I don't think the quantum realm is actually that exciting of a setting. And I worry... Mm. 
if the Captain Marvel film in March next year leans on the quantum realm a bit too heavily, then maybe it will actually just be a bit shit. No, I know, I worry. Um, oh, I interrupted there you is a talking ton. about the, there the is Michelle a... Pfeiffer hand of God moment. What do you mean? The when she... Um... Oh, yeah, so, sorry, yeah. Going way back to the point of something that annoyed us. Um, they, they bring the the wife the mother back to reality a ghost is still like you know she's gonna die she's really stressed out about it and then what's her name janet pym janet pym janet van pym janet van dyne or whatever she has been in the quantum run for 30 years on her own and she just turns to ghost who's been the really desperate villain for the whole film and just goes here you go and sticks her thumbs on her the temples of her forehead and they go like all ET and like light up and it just solves her problem. Um, and it, I don't know, I just thought that was a bit like, come on, mate. Like, there, is you, be- there are better you, the, ways. The, the film doesn't even address why Janet is capable of doing that. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't explain that she's learnt this new ability or anything like that. It literally just they does in- it and you're, you're meant to sit there and be like, oh, all right, fine. Well, this this brings me to another point. Is that they say there is an interesting line when she's in the quantum realm, where Hank Pym, Hank Pym, says to no, sorry, Janet says to Hank that oh, I've changed as a complete person. I've I've learned things in the quantum realm that I could have never never learned before. And then I'm thinking, okay, interesting. We now have this character who has been in the quantum realm. Maybe she can act as kind of a bridge for working out Captain Marvel in the in- and the new Infinity War spin-off, whatever it's going to be called. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but then uh, the post credit scene, which I'm going to spoil because this is a spoiler podcast, um, is where Scott Lang goes into the quantum realm to get energy, um, quantum energy to help Ghost in her recovery. And the three main characters, um, Hope, Janet Hank, and Hank, Jan- Janet and Hank, um, evaporate up because of Thanos' click of his fingers. Um, With because like, I didn't stick around in the cinema. Regrettably, I didn't stick around in the cinema to see this. Is is Scott watching this happen from no, the quantum realm? No. So Scott is in the quantum realm and he's on a earpiece, and so and so he literally gets it. And it's like, guys, it's like so. We, so coming back in five, four, three, and you just hear a cut off, and then Scott's like, guys, guys, what's happening, guys? And then you cut back to. Just ash on the floor, essentially. And Shit. I, if I'm honest, it's one of the best scenes in the film. It's yeah, a great scene. No, however, I should have, I should have stuck however, around. this Michelle Pfeiffer business of knowing all the secrets of the quantum realm then becomes inconsequential and only becomes only becomes important because she can then heal Ghost in a very convenient plot point. Yeah, I just think, it was I, a and bit. I, and I do feel that's lazy writing. I do think that the jokes were written well. But I think there is just a laziness in the in the attention to the plot of this film. Having I think too there many was, villains yeah, there and, was, and that kind of Janet resolution. The, really pl- summed the up. plot was kind of you could tell that there were sort of sacrifices made in order to streamline it. Um, but having said that, the attention to detail and some of the actual bits of the film were really nice. Like the opening scene of the film, uh, or like the opening scene with Scott Lang is him playing with his daughter in this like oh. huge, meticulously constructed cardboard maze that while on house arrest, he's built in their house. 
for him and the daughter to go on like Ant-Man style adventures and it culminates in them going down this slide that goes all the way down into the back garden and it's just you you watch it and you honestly think like he he needs like a an award for like best dad of the year kind of thing like it's a really really cool creative thing that they did and clearly someone on the writing team was like let's not just have them playing hide and seek like you would do in any other film let's like properly flesh this out and make this really awesome scene where the dad has gone fucking all out to make this really great moment for him and his daughter. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. Yeah, like, I think that, I think that is the redeeming quality of the film is that I really like the relationship that... It's got a lot of heart. It's got a lot of heart, those relationships. And I like the relationship that his Scott's ex-wife and her new husband have with them as well. Yeah, it's really funny. It's just really cute. It's like they're just all night a one big part of the family, which I find is really nice, especially from the last Adman film where that's the main. Yeah, it, it's not. It's not the classic storyline of separated parents and one of them's been in prison and they treat that one like shit and don't trust him. And well, that was the first film. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but then, but then the second film, I liked that that wasn't that was no longer that was dropped, and they were like, okay, no, we that's that's this is how you. For parents, for children of separation, I think that's a lot of the time what the aspiration is, is that kind of family. Yeah. And I, and I really liked it. I think yeah. I thought it was a really nice thing to do. Do you want to move on to... Um, Critic Quote Awards. Indeed. What um, did you have for best description? Here we go. This is, is this the podcast that I get it right um, and actually say it without stumbling. Um, well, I'm not going to do it now. I've said that. Um, so the first one is from Soren Anderson from the Seattle Times. There's a lot going on here, which leads to a whole lot of gassy exposition to explain it all, including two separate scenes in which two different groups of good guys are tied to chairs while villains... Sorry. Bloviate on the intricacies of the plot. Blove... Is that a word? Sorry, I didn't... They didn't, that didn't bloviate. Bloviate. Well, you say say your next critic quote, and I'm going to work out of bloviate. Essentially, I I completely agree. There are two, there are literally two scenes where everyone's tied in chairs and explain the plot, and I, I think that yeah, it is yeah, that is lazy. That is, true. That that is, is true. lazy. Um, so my best description came from Manolia Dargis of the New York Times, and they said an engaging goof that resists bludgeoning you with bigness and instead settles for good vibes and jokes. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. Squints. It's a surprisingly enjoyable summer rob. <laughs> I enjoy that. That's really fun. Um, bloviate is a word. What does bloviate mean? Bloviation is a style of empty, pompous political speech, pat- <laughs> particularly associated with Ohio. Well, there we go. Why Ohio? I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm. Jake and Logan Paul definitely bloviate. <laughs> From Ohio? Yeah. Are they? If you never watched a video, they say it like five times per video. Oh, yeah, it's probably on their merch. Hashtag Low Gang. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, most savage quote. I'm going to jump in ahead of you, mate. Absolutely. Most enough. savage quote comes from James Berardinelli of Real Views. We do like a good quote from Real Views. Well, I'm very happy you've jumped ahead of me because my most savage quote is also James Bernardinelli from Bernardinelli. All right, so James Berardinelli from both of us says, plodding, repetitive, replete with technobabble nonsense and lifeless action. This is easily the worst written of any of the 20 MCU offerings, 
and maybe the worst all-round film featuring a Marvel superhero since Sony rebooted Spider-Man. He really has it out for this film. God, he fucking hates yeah. superhero films, doesn't he? Or at least the modern age of superhero films. I'd love to know what he thinks is the best superhero film of all time. I bet it's like Green Lantern. <laughs> but no, I think he'll be. I think he'll probably say Dark Knight because it's like it's not a superhero movie; it's an art movie. That's or he'll be like no, or he'll be like Watchmen. Oh, he'll gosh. go really, he he'll yeah. go really indie with it. Do you know what he might say? Batman Ninja. Batman Ninja. <laughs> yeah. Or Teen Titans Go to the movies. <laughs> um, so my um, my funny quote is from Bidge Ebry from the Village Voice. Can I quickly just do a quick brief description of the Village, Vo- Village Voice? Go on. What, this is, is this a website? No. The Village Voice is a... I think this is correct. If it's not, please please let me know in comments or reviews and etc. But I'm pretty certain it's correct because this is a kind of... <laughs> One star. My, he got it wrong. I mean, I think this is what I did my dissertation around. So fingers crossed it's right. Um, the Village Voice was a magazine, um, which a, um, a majoritively gay magazine in, in the East Village in New York. Um, it explored the downfall of the Studio 54 scene and then the rise of the drug-fueled club kid scene in oh, yeah, um, yeah. New York okay. Drag. And it is, and culminated with the with the mo- murder of Angel Hernandez. You got really into this a while back, I oh, remember. It's, like, watch the documentary Party Monster. It's a fantastic documentary. Um, and it's really interesting. and explores the art and the madness of gay culture in the 1990s. And The Village Voice was, I think, a real big part of it with um, editors like Michael Musto, um, now queer icons who are now very, very famous in their own right who wrote for The Village Voice. So yeah, um, I, th- I think it's a good publication. However, Bilge Ebry doesn't know what to think of this film. Bilge Ebry. Bilge Elb- Ebry. Bilge. How Here do you go. spell that? B-I-L-G-E. Bilge. 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 Bilge Ebry. I'll say God, it again. What an Bilge awful name. Ebry. It's my new drag name. It's disjointed and cluttered, but it's also entertaining in spurts. Is that enough? Just about and not quite. Make up your mind, Bilge. He has no idea what he's thinking. Just about, about and not quite. Just about. Come on, quite. Bilge, mate. You gotta love Bilge. it or hate it. Bilge. Um, my funniest quote is from Darren Frannick of Entertainment Weekly. It says, uh, "This is one of those Marvel products peddling self-aware detachment as a defining narrative strategy." Ooh. Ooh. It feels less like a feature film than a meme somebody made about an Ant Man trailer. Oh, I look quite. I quite Ooh, like that. that's quite sharp. That is quite sharp. I don't think that's strictly fair. accurate or fair. I have problems with this film, but I don't think it's like a meme. But yeah, that's interesting. I'll go with that. Did you prefer this to Deadpool two? No, I like Deadpool two more. Mm. See, I preferred this to Deadpool two. Fair enough. I think for me, I thought the the comedy was more consistent. See, I think maybe the comedy was more consistent in this film, but I think Deadpool two had better bits. Like for me, like nothing touches the Celine Dion opening James Bond credits style sequence of Deadpool two. Yeah, that's great. Like that's just great cinema. Um, whereas I don't think anything in this was that ambitious. I think it was just like mediocrely funny, and and did have some real moments of tenderness with um, Paul Rudd and his daughter. Yeah. So what would you rate it out of ten then? Well, I came out of the cinema yesterday, and I was discussing my. I watched both Ant-Man and the Wasp and Teen Titans go to the movies with Tom Thornell yesterday, um, my very close friend. And he said, he said sentiments similar to us of the four to seven rule is that we're not going to rate a film that we didn't enjoy um, a four or five or five because 
four or fives, you'd still want to go and watch. I, I've watched many four and fives, and I think it's important to encourage people to go watch yeah, sort of five, I mean, sixes, you know, etc. You should still go and watch Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, but just yeah. don't, don't expect much. <laughs> yeah, well, that kind of thing. I am going to rate this film, in discussion with you, I'm going to rate it at 5.5. It's low. Ooh. It's low. However, it's, okay. it's better than Mission Impossible Fallout, which has some incredible. Which we gave what six out of ten. You gave a six. I think I gave a five. No, I think we both gave it a six, didn't we? I think I gave it a five. Oh, mate, we should have kept track of this. Well, I really um, want to start making graphics for these kind of. But things. no, I, anyway. I think I gave it a six out of ten because I thought the action was some of the best in the world, but the rest of the film was diabolical. Um, with this case, I think it's more well-rounded for me. I think it's more, it did things well to a certain level, but could have achieved a lot more. Um, I'm going to give it a seven. I thought it was, I thought it was really, like, I found it really entertaining when I was in the cinema. I think that um, the stakes weren't as high as they could have been, but I think that it did move along at quite a nice pace and it didn't take itself too seriously. It's quite a zippy um, film. I would, it I would is quite, yeah. And I wasn't looking at my watch and that is one of the biggest ways I bench my attention in a cinema. Um, yeah, seven out of 10. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest disagreement we've had about a film, but I can definitely, I, I think what we can learn from this is that we I've taken a lot of your, a lot of your points on board and by, hopefully vice versa. But I also think that I just think I just think we watched it watched it in a different way, and that's okay. Yeah, completely. And I think again, like so much of it comes down to how you're feeling at the time and what kind of mood you're in. And I think I was like, I was particularly in a mood to sit down and watch a real popcorn flick. So I think it really resonated with me because of that. And I think I think me, if, I, if yeah. I had if I had been in a rush and wasn't quite keen on the film, I would have reviewed it negatively. Yeah, I think that's um, maybe true. Yeah, so, so you know, we so much of. So much of what we think of the films that we're watching comes down to kind of the position we're in when we're watching them. Yep. Or at least that's what we try and avoid when reviewing them. But yeah. Yep. Seven and a 5.5. Indeed. A solid 12.5 out of 20. <laughs> uh, I'd, if, that, if I got that on a test, I'd be happy with it. That's fine. That's a solid 65%. Um, so that is it for this week. Uh, in terms of next week, I'm pretty sure we're going to review The Meg. Oh. I can't wait. Now, by the time this episode comes out, we probably will have watched it. We might have even recorded the episode. We intend to try and go and see it in proper IMAX fashion. Like we want to. I don't know if it's at the big BFI IMAX in London, but I want to go and see this film in all its glory. I want to buy like a massive box of popcorn. Hopefully, go and see it together if we can. I want hot dog. I want popcorn. I want those um, tango fruit bursts. Oh, those stupid giant squeezy things. Yep, yeah, I yeah. don't care. They, they look great. I just, um, I just want to. This film is just such a silly film. I want the full film experience. I it. yeah, I agree. I agree. I think we should try and do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. So hopefully uh, next week we'll come back to you with a review of the Meg. Um, we will probably have an update on the James Gunn saga. I'm sure it will still be going on. Yeah. Um, and some other exciting news bits. Um, <laughs> and my laptop is now shouting at us to finish the episode. <laughs> if no one else heard that. So uh, that is it. 52 week film project on Instagram and Twitter as always. Please leave um, a review. Please leave fantastic. a review on Spotify or iTunes. Um, and we will see you guys next week. Bye.